We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And just a quick heads up about today's show. In this first segment, we're going to talk about the game. The Lakers fell uh, in a game that they'd been kind of flirting with a loss like this for a while now. Uh, and then they're playing back-to-back against the Bulls, who've been playing very well, beat the Mavs and Blazers this week. So we're going to talk Lakers in the first segment, but we would be remiss if we didn't address the events in Washington this week. And so we're going to do that in the second segment. So giving you a heads up uh, at, at the beginning, um, Lakers, again, dropped the game last night in, in a kind of a lackluster effort. And Mike, AD had a, a, an interesting quote about not just that we were playing shitty defense, which he did say that, but the, the ways in which we were playing shitty defense and some of the details. So, so what, did, uh, what did AD have to say on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the first reaction was just, yeah, it wasn't good. It was bad. And, and then he went on to explain why. So here's the extension part of that quote. Some nights we do bring it defensively and some nights we don't. We have spurts in the game where we're really good defensively, but for an entire 48 minutes, we haven't. We know there's going to be mistakes. Teams are going to make shots. You're not going to be perfect for the entire 48, but we're not executing what we're supposed to do. And our communication has been terrible for the first nine games that we played. We've got to be way better defensively if we want to have a chance to defend our title. There is no excuse for that defensively. It's not about schemes or anything like that. It's just about energy and effort. We're late on our coverages. Our communication hasn't really been good. And I think we're good in the first initial 10 seconds of the clock, even 15 seconds. It's that second action, third action that teams run that kind of get us. Some things you can't control, a bad miss. Uh, or you're closing out on the weak side and guys making a tough shot or a bad bounce or anything like that. But a lot of times it's just us messing up our schemes and not talking, which is leading to open shots and guys at the rim. So Darius, I, I wouldn't say that 
AD's wrong. Uh, I, I do think that after a loss, it, it's kind of like that's the side of things that you focus on, um, on the parts that aren't going as well. And it's just like with any of us in any walk of life. And I do think that that's probably a little bit harsh, especially based on what the all of the stuff we've talked about. Uh, this game specifically was first game back from an eight day road trip uh, without the home crowd bounce. And I think the three of us all expected them to be a little bit flat uh, and they were. And then just the general context of the season, the offseason, all that kind of stuff, all the excuses and explanations that, that we can make. But he does have some fair points and uh, it, maybe maybe we can just kick it to you to pull out the finer points out of his points. I think the communication stuff is super important. And I, I know that AD pivots to communication a lot and he talks about effort and these things all go hand in hand they are all you can't have one without the other so if you're flying around defensively but you're not talking and you're not making sure that guys are rotating to the correct place or there's not that being in sync that you need defensively then you're going to struggle and you can talk all you want about hey go here or we're icing this or whatever but if the guard doesn't do what he's supposed to do or with the right amount of urgency, then you're going to fail that way too. So AD's right in mentioning all of these things. I don't think he's being too harsh, Mike. I think he's right on. The Lakers are playing bad defense. I don't care what their defensive rating is per se. It Like it's nice that going into uh, yesterday's game against the Spurs, they were top five in both offensive and defensive rating. We're also eight games into the season or nine games into the season. I don't take a ton of stock in that. I th I think it speaks to their ability. Go ahead. Mike. Well, so Darius, here, here I want to kind of clarify my position on it uh, and then kick it right back to you. I think that they're, you're, you're right. Uh, he's right. The defense has not been good, especially compared to what we saw in the bubble. It's just relative to the rest of the league. It's mm -hmm. it's OK. That's all like the defense league wide um, and all three of us have been watching these. Games. The defense league wide has not been good. It's just yeah. not there yet. And th that's all. But you're but you're so like I'm trying to be relative to it. But you're right. But, and so is he. One hundred percent. And I think that a lot of the stuff we're seeing from the Lakers are league wide trends. And, and, and so the so that's an important point, Mike. And I'm glad that you made it because within the context of the league at large and the way that the season has been going for. 99% of the teams across the league, I think the Lakers are doing just fine. And when you add in the extra context of, of what the Lakers have been going through in terms of the quick turnaround, the weight that LeBron and AD need to carry still on both sides of the ball and the energy and mental and physical energy that they expended through a championship run, that's a different ask than any ask that's being made from any other team across the league, considering this team is the defending champs. That said, when you see two guys rotate to the same player defensively on a weak side closeout, when you see the big man hedge on the wrong side of the screen or the guard and the big man not have good communication about when an opposing team is running a pick and roll and let's say KCP or Wes Matthews is playing that to ice, right? And the big is still in line with Matthews's back or is sticking to the big man. These are defensive mistakes. These are communication issues. And 
as much as I'm a big picture thinker and a these are mistakes that are going to get cleaned up and we're early in the season. Part of the job of a leader like Anthony Davis is to point this stuff out and say this stuff needs to be cleaned up. And it's important that we that we do this stuff better. Or we're going to continue to flounder in certain ways. I think they they understand that they're talented enough to still win games even while playing like this and we saw it in a couple of the games in san antonio we saw it in the two games in memphis they weren't particularly stellar defensively in either of those well well, those games for long stretches but they put together enough sequences especially late in the game where they won but when pete said that we sort of were flirting with a loss like this they were and it came back and bit them pete how concerned are you with some of the defensive issues that that you see? How much of that do you think really is like early season malaise versus like, huh, maybe this guy isn't as good at this as they need to be, right? Because those are those are two separate things. And one of them is more concerning versus the other. In a big picture sense, I'm, I'm not concerned, uh, from, uh, can they do it? Now we've got plenty of guys on the roster who can't do certain things. Dennis Schroeder can't be big. Mark Gasol can't be fast. Montrez Harrell can't be a seven foot vertical rim protector, right? Like, but we know what these guys are good at and what they aren't good at in, in a broader sense. Now we're drilling that down into more specifics. Um, but it's, we're not going to get a whole lot if everybody isn't locked in. And that's where AD, his quote comes in. And as a leader, it's important. He's not in our position where we say, oh, it's the early season, quick turnaround, blah, blah, blah. We, I mean, like how many times can we say that, right? Like his job is to be like, okay, this is where we are and to help lead us forward, especially on the, the defensive end, as we talked about in the last pod, that his job is to, okay, these are the issues that need to be addressed. And then this is how we address them. From a, a basketball standpoint, I think, I don't think people fully realize how many micro decisions happen on the defensive end on any given possession. All of those little scenarios where the guard is icing a side ball screen and then the big has to be in coordination with him to make sure he's in containment. Because if he's on the wrong side, it gives up a drive to the basket. There's on every given play, there's probably five to eight or depending if you're playing a team like Miami, for example, that's the reason why Miami got to the finals. Miami will give you eight, nine, 10 different attacks that if you blow that particular coverage, if you don't communicate, they're going to get an open three. They're going to get a shot, a lob to bam at the rim. Golden State's title teams were particularly great at this. And so that communication is the mental manifestation of the the lack of effort, right? Like whenever we think of effort, we see it as a physical thing, right? As running and diving for the ball and, and really giving it your all. And it's the thing that no matter how deeply you understand the sport, pretty much every fan can see like, oh, that guy's busting his ass. The harder side to see is what you were talking about, Darius, is the communication and how much of the defensive end on those micro decisions involves 
talking to each other and, and saying, oh, right, right. Like this pick is coming up to your right side. You need to adjust your body to make sure that we're not letting him use the screen in that direction. And Mike is somebody who's been on the ground. That's one thing that I've, I've, I loved going to games. I miss it so much uh, of being able to hear that defensive communication. And I always go back to the thing that you told me. I asked you once about like, what's the biggest difference between the playoffs? This is when we hadn't made it in ages of seeing it up close. And that's what you told me is just the defense just takes a, a huge spike. Yeah, and I think if, if there's one specific area uh, that I noticed that, and, and whether it's communication or just lineups and such, that made me harken back to the opener against the Clippers is a stretch five starting for the other team. And that not being an optimal situation for the Lakers starting lineup with Gasol at center. And in this case, LaMarcus Aldridge didn't play in the two games at San Antonio. So they started Jakob Pertl, uh, who does not even consider shooting from the perimeter. And the Lakers, therefore, could get away with sort of playing, you know, lazy is too strong of a word, but not their best effort on defense. And the Spurs didn't really hurt them much. The game stayed tight. LeBron and AD took over late. In this case, Aldridge, who is, you know, having his worst season statistically and so on and so forth, he's, you know, he's 35. Uh, he came out and was just raining jumpers and swishing jumpers from the start, and they were wide open. The Lakers didn't really adjust at all until the third quarter when Gasol picked up his fourth foul, and then Vogel put Caruso in. And that was the point of the game. I was like, okay, here, here they go, right? Here they go. And they, they sort of did. It wasn't just Caruso, but they playing small. AD was more activated. Uh, AD started dunking everything and they closed to tie the game late in the third quarter before San Antonio ran away with it. But the interesting thing that I, I was looking at the shot charts uh, kind of during the game and afterwards and AD scored 10 of his 11 field goals at the rim, not just in the paint, but at the actual rim. Uh, it, like there's, it's just yellow dots all over his shot chart. Then you, you go to the other side, LaMarcus Aldridge, he made, uh, let's see, 11 of 18 field goals, only four of them were in the paint. And so he's just spraying and dotting jumpers. So all, uh, I think it, Darius almost shows AD's frustration with the defense that he's like, okay, uh, try to deal with this. And he went in and just started dunking everything. He didn't settle for jump shots. He only missed a couple uh, from the perimeter. So that was an interesting little game within the game, but it, it's the, it's the, I think the Lakers have the answer. They have the coverages for a stretch five. They just haven't had to use it really, except a bit on opening night. And they just didn't adjust to it. So I'm, it's that same thing. I'm not concerned big, short, uh, like long-term, but it was, it was something that I thought was going to be an issue in last night's game, and it was. That's 100% right, Mike, just in terms of, look, the Lakers still have the core of the team that basically won the championship last year and so i hate to be a person who does not take the short term seriously just in favor of big picture thinking because i think in the short term you build the types of habits and necessary attitude and approach in order for the big picture to play out the way that you want i'm dating myself here but like i grew up in an era when if you went on a long road trip with your family, you actually had to go to like AAA and buy a map, right? And, <laughs> and yeah. you had to like highlight the route you were going to take if you were going to yeah. go. You know, my, dad Thomas so with those, my dad was so good with those maps, man. For like, like <laughs> oh, we're going on a drive. And we're going to... Hey, you remember asking people for directions? Well, you know, because... <laughs> so, I'm not pulling over. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not going to the gas station. You had to write it on a post. My dad worked for 3M, so we had, we had a post-it notes everywhere. And like, it would always be, you just like, you call your friend, be like, yo, um, God, remind me how to get to your house. All right, do you take a left on 15, then you take a right on Old Beach Road, uh, then take another left as a third stop sign. Uh, uh-huh. I'll yeah. Think, I'll, I'll There's think. an old man on the corner, old blind man with the dog, turn left there. Yeah. The old days. Anyway, continue, Darius. Sorry. <laughs> no. So there is the point I was going to make with that is there's a map, right? And you have to follow the path. And it's not this idea now with your smartphones where it's like, oh, yeah, well, here's my entire trip. I can put stop after stop after stop and it's right in my phone and I know how I'm going to get there. And this thing will even tell me based off of current traffic conditions how long it's going to take for me to get there. Right. So there is a certain amount of planning that you need to do in a very old school way. Like this is the big picture, but incrementally, these are the steps we're going to take in order to get to the place. So I don't want to sacrifice or continue to downplay small picture things because you add up all of those small picture things. And that's how you get to be a championship team. And if there's anything, I don't want to say it concerns me, but if there's something that I'm sort of sticking on the side burner a little bit, it's the idea of summoning your best and how able you are to summon that on demand. And I think we really need to play some good teams to get that. I don't think that's going to happen before then. I would love for that to happen, but there's going to be basically a month between the Lakers playing a legit playoff team right like there maybe memphis makes it maybe san antonio makes it but these are fringe playoff teams right houston we have a a soft stretch of the schedule that coincides with the beginning of the season of a quick turnaround they have played each of the last five plus games exactly the same way where they kind of bs for most of the game they try to turn it on in a stretch and win the game and that's worked every other time right to to do that and this was not the game where that happened but i do think that playing a good team would will help bring that out can i get back to anthony davis for a second because please um harrison fagan had a great little tweet and right before we got on to to um to record this that this pod i i saw it and i was just like that's that's interesting because he he quote tweeted AD's comments, right? And he basically said, you know, the defense is worse when AD is on the court, basically. Like, what? And I don't want to extrapolate too much from that because I just said it's just like, oh, I like the numbers. It's early in the season. The numbers are going to have a ton of noise in them. The sample, like the sample's just too small. But that's right. Like, I looked at. Like, for example, I was looking at two-man ratings this morning just to sort of see, like, hey, what sort of pairings are working? Because you know that this is an idea that I enjoy. It, it's not necessarily the idea of, like, oh, well, these two guys are are drivers behind why something works or what doesn't. But I try to get to the point where two-man groupings and three-man groupings, I consider some of these to be foundational, right? Like we talked last year about the LeBron Caruso one. There was just some magic between them that filters out through the rest of the lineup that matters right and the ad and harold 
when AD shares the floor with Harold, the Lakers defensive rating is like 123. It's like 122.8 or something like matches that. Matches the eye test. And that matches the eye test. And the idea of the Lakers need to be better on defense and, and AD sort of calling them out for, for that early. I want to kick this to both of you. How much do you think that that is about Anthony Davis personally? Right. Like how much does he have to do in order to rectify this? Because he is he was second in defensive player of the year vote voting last year before the season. We all talked talked about him being a potential winner of that award. Right. The way that he's played to start the season, he does not look like a winner of that award. So how much of this is on him, basically? Not much. I I think this is more of a situational thing early in the season that when he's in with Harrell, he is mostly on the perimeter. And Harrell, uh, for just, you know, for matchup reasons slash slotting reasons, Harrell seems to be in at the backup five. And so he's the one that's at the rim, which he's not really protecting. And AD's on the perimeter, which he's not really fully engaged in that playoff, you know, complete like Velociraptor or you know, dinosaur with longer arms uh, than that, uh, that's flying around the perimeter. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Is there a dinosaur with super long arms? That's kind of like- I think of him as like a pterodactyl, a pterodactyl, pterodactyl right? Yeah. That's, that's so flying, but yeah. like a raptor with pterodactyl uh, wings or something? Pterodactyl wings, that's, that, that sounds yeah. perfectly yeah. terrifying, Mike. Thank you get you. the metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Drop so, the park, Anthony Davis. Yeah, yes. so it's just that that's what- that's the the issue there that I think you can extrapolate moving forward is how do they want to best utilize Harrell on defense? It's something that we talked about in the Harrell pod, Pete, before the season about how you like him blitzing in the perimeter and sort of getting out there and using his activity. But he he requires cover at the rim and AD can do that, but they haven't really he, that's not the way they've been playing together so far. So can it be can it be fixed? Can it be amended? Yes. Uh, but I don't. I also don't think that's going to be one of their most impactful and most effective lineups. Uh, I think that, and I don't think we've seen that much. He hasn't been on the floor when Vogel goes to his. Okay, let, I mean business lineups, and th- that mm-hmm. it was it's Caruso or it's Matthews and Kuzma or it's KCP uh, that's on the perimeter, and it's LeBron essentially more at the four defensively. So I, it's it's all of those things, Pete. But you know. What what are your thoughts on the matter? I, yeah, I I mean, ideally, all of that's true, but ideally, we can get more production in those end of first quarter lineups, right? I I keep going back to when LeBron sits, and those are often the moments where Anthony Davis and Montrezl Harrell play together. I think that their defensive responsibilities should be flipped. In that, it's if you're going to be playing drops and you're going to be asking someone to be a rim protector out of the two, Anthony Davis is the obvious option. One of my complaints with how Doc Rivers used Trez is that he's not a rim protector. It's it's not what he's naturally talented at. And if you ask him to do it, he's going to get beat doing that. And so if you or have a charge, yeah, which right or try to which right, will which work you, every so often on a certain possession, but more it's still kind of an open lane to get into the paint. 
And I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because his ability to beat people to the spot or his ability to cover distance is what his defensive talent is. So the more times you ask him to be on the move and, hey, you got to you got to rotate, you got to beat someone to the spot. He can do that actually very, very well. And so it's a matter of playing to their strengths. I also think there's an offensive component in that that lineup's just really disorganized on offense and it leads to turnovers. It leads to misses and all of these situations that impact defensive rating where that number is going to be high because, oh, you turned the ball over and it's a three-on-one fast break. And yeah, that's going to be a, a basket that's scored that's charged against your defensive rating when in reality it was your offense that led to those points. And so we, I, I don't want to adhere too much to just the idea that it's all on the defensive end. But if we want that pairing to work, it's a matter of flipping those responsibilities. Do you want to jump in on that, Darius? No, no, no. I just think that I'll be interested to see how Vogel evolves after 20 games or 25 games. And I feel like in the last handful of games, he's already started to like get sick of it a little bit. And he's gone to more of his money lineups in different parts of the game that he thinks matters. Like in the third quarter, this last game, for, for example, he kept LeBron in. He didn't take him out at his normal sub marker. Mm -hmm. And then that impacted the end of the third quarter lineup and the start of the fourth quarter lineup where they had like there was that stretch where neither LeBron nor AD were on the court. And then that unit floundered and there were a couple of turnovers. You give up a little bit something here because you're not getting something. So then you try to compensate and then things start to slip away in other areas. And it's like you're spinning plates and suddenly you've got 50 plates up there spinning and you're like, which one is wobbly? Which one is wobbly? And it's whack-a-mole. It's, it's like it's so early. This team is so good. Like I hate to I, like I hate to over dramatize it. Right. But no, no, but it's not about like the will they be good enough when it matters? It's, it's about that short term planning. We're going to make what's the next turn on the map that we need to make. Yeah. Right. And it's about like, it's not saying that we can't do it. It's just a matter of like, if we're going to play these lineups, what's the way to get the most out of them? It's a, a matter of still incorporating all this new talent. Last thought, Pete, is to me deals more with Dennis Schroeder. And he's had some some really fun moments, especially defensively. And he's had some really good moments offensively on his own. What he hasn't done yet is really figure out the best ways to combine. Uh, with his teammates and the same kind of thing. Like if, okay, LeBron's not on the court, either AD's not on the court, whatever the lineups are part of our thinking before the season was, Oh, those could be times where shooter can eat and can run things and get, can, can get everybody going, get everybody in the same page. And I think he's still learning that too. So that goes For to sure. Darius's point about 20 games, but he, you know, that part has to start coming too. He's got to start to figure some of that out on his own because he can be that, uh, that sort of third creator or at least should be. And that can help organize them some on that end as well. In, in and the, the foundational ingredient for that to happen is that level of focus and commitment. And they're not going to make much progress on incorporating the new components of the team until everybody is really locked in and ready, ready to do that. Yeah, I just thought that the Spurs game essentially, especially I thought culminated with a certain amount of frustration from the guys. You could tell they were frustrated Good. out there and Good. that they tried yeah, to AD, come in. AD kicked, uh, kicked his water thing over water cooler over at the end of the game. Well, yeah, you so can, that kind of, the yeah. first thing that needs to come is, is that sort of level of anger because that anger, I feel like and frustration is going to drive the effort and it's going to drive the focus. Right. Because I think, and then when you're, when, the first part of this is focus. 
Because when you're focused, that's when you're going to actually do the right things. If you're just angry and want to expel a bunch of effort, it goes back to the old woodenism, right? Where it's like, do not mistake activity for achievement. And, and so the first part of this is being prepared to go out there and play a smart game of basketball. And we've seen it too many games this year where it's just like, eh, and that means turnovers. It means missed rotations. It means a lack of communication. And it culminated with a loss against the Spurs. Am I worried? I'm not. I, I just think they're going to have to start to put it together soon. And I think it's coming. Yeah, they needed a loss to uh, like if you don't suffer the natural consequences of not being focused, you're good. That's why I was saying they've been flirting with that loss is they've been playing the same way for quite some time. And that's going to bite you in the butt. So, yeah, the, the focus and if they're if they're angry and they're upset, that's a good thing. Uh, at least it's uh something that needs to happen before they're able to be locked in because basketball moves too quickly to succeed on the NBA level without being focused. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back and completely change directions, talk about the events, events in Washington, D.C. this week. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. So I, I follow right-wing extremism online fairly closely and, and have for quite some time. Um, and I'm struck by the law enforcement component of what happened on Wednesday. Uh, this is something LeBron were, uh, you know, when he walked in, he wore a shirt that said something to the effect of like, do you understand now? Like, do you see what we've been talking about? Um, during the Black Lives Matter protests, the uh, Lincoln Memorial was protected by scores and scores of National Guard people, despite the lack of any credible threat. Uh, it is a monument. It is not somewhere that people are that people are working in. It's certainly not all of our representative leaders the way they were in the Capitol building on, on Wednesday. And uh, there was no credible intelligence that it was going to be attacked. Why would Black Lives Matter attack the Lincoln Memorial in the first place? It doesn't make any sense. You contrast that to, again, from following the, the extremism online, they'd been planning this for a long time. They had flyers, they coordinated, people flew from all around the country to be in Washington, D.C. on the 6th. There was a rally where Rudy Giuliani and then Donald Trump spoke and said, we're going to go over to the Capitol and we're going to uh, you know, move this party over in that direction. And the theme is fight, fight for, like there's all of this, this coding and all of the last several years of kind of uh, getting people frothing at the mouth. And then I am so stunned by the lack of preparation and the lack of uh, readiness for how people got got in there. And, and in to, to tie this to the Lakers, 
if if I'm a black person in the United States and I see the the dichotomy of that, like I the the I'd be so enraged. And if you're not a black person, if you're not a person of color that has been kind of impacted by this well before it got to this point, and you're not if if Wednesday was not a big wake up call, then this is going to happen again. And it's going to be worse next time. It, I, I'm sorry, this could go in a, several different directions. I've got so many things I want to get off my chest. I, whichever one of you guys want to jump in, uh, sure. please do. But I'm just stunned by the the dichotomy in it. It's so in your face. You know? Yeah, part of what you're speaking to there, Pete, is the is the white privilege of of not recognizing that moment for what it was. And to also bring it into the context of last night, I'm so I was going to the arena. I knew that Greg Popovich was going to speak pregame and it was going to all be about this. And I was excited for it because he's been incredible on these issues. So has Steve Kerr. They've shown tremendous leadership. I think they've, they've made the black players in the league feel like they have true advocates um, on, uh, on the other side of the, I shouldn't say the other side, of course, there are many, many races, but in, in the way of this context, it almost seems like we're talking about black and white, really, it should be, it's black and minority. Um, but so Popovich speaks pregame, and I knew he was somebody who was going to ask him about LeBron James. So then I was also looking forward to hearing from LeBron, who I think has been also tremendous on these issues. And this is a guy that's younger. LeBron is younger than the three of us. Uh, he, everything that he says is dissected around the world. And anytime that he makes a comment on an important issue like this, he's going to get pilloried to a certain extent by that extremist right wing uh, side of the media. And, and yet he's still willing to share um, his thoughts and, and to try to educate himself. So I'm, I'll, I've been very impressed every time that I've heard him talk about this. And so I, I, I would encourage everyone to just watch LeBron speak about this in the video you can go to my twitter feed or uh, spectrum put out his basically his full post game on twitter so just go to at spectrum sportsnet or um at lakers reporter if you want to watch lebron um i'll just i'll summarize popovich's comments quick and then kick it over to darius so he started by saying yesterday the big picture thing for me was how it laid bare the blatant and dangerous debilitating racism that is our country's sin that has plagued us for all these years there can't be a better obvious example of a system that is not fair as far as justice and equal rights are concerned and protection of citizens. It is right in your face. Anybody that can ignore that is a shameful individual, in my opinion. It's hard to deny that. The second take was the fact that I believe in all my heart that Trump enjoyed it. Uh, they talked about the police and how easy it was, and then they just walked right in. That doesn't happen unless there is a wink and a nod somewhere. Uh, this is me talking yep. now. That speaks to Pete's point. Uh Back to Popovich, that doesn't just happen. It's never happened at any protest that anybody has ever been to. This was a wink and a nod. Somebody had to realize that this was allowed and that that's where the lack of preparation comes in too. So he goes on and then Darius, he also was very you know careful to praise LeBron and sort of the leadership that he's shown and the way that he's talking about these issues. So I know that's a lot. I'll, I'll let you go where you want with it. But I, I was, um, I, I just tied, I thought it all tied together with what LeBron and Popovich said yesterday at the game. Yeah, so a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of different um, ideas sort of swirling in my head, right? Like from the NBA side and from the perspective of um, the player statements and the coaches' statements from Popovich to LeBron to what's been happening all over the league. Um, I know that 
um, I'm going to bring up some Celtics here, but I thought Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's post game the other day was um, yeah, important great. as well in um, the aftermath of the no charges against the police officer who shot Jacob Blake. Um, there's, there's a lot of heaviness in this country. Um, there's a lot of feelings I have as someone with brown skin, someone who's been profiled by police in my life, um, someone who's been pulled over, who's been followed in stores, who's been called the N-word, who's been, who's been, who's been, right? So I carry a lot of this stuff with me day to day. And I've had several conversations with people of all races, black people who are my friends, uh, white people who are in my family, right? Um, people who I barely even know because we just get roped into conversations about the state of the world and the stakes that are at play for people who look like me, for people who look like my wife, people who look like my daughters who are only seven and nine and are going to grow up in a world where this is something that is real for them up close and very in front of them, which was not the case, I think, for all three of us growing up in our lives when we were seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. It's just different, right? And so I praise the people in the NBA for, for speaking up and using their platform. Um, I think it's important to continue to raise awareness. I think Pete's point and Greg Popovich's point that you relayed, Mike, about the relationship between groups like who stormed the Capitol and some of those in law enforcement. I, I think that stuff like that, it needs to be explored. I think that there is structural racism in this country that needs to be explored and dissected. And things are not going to change in this country until we start to examine that stuff more deeply. What I will say, though, and I've said this I said this back in 2015 and 16 in the lead up and run up to, to that election. Part of the things that concerned me about what was transpiring at the time around the election was the idea of making the terrible people feel comfortable and making them feel like they can be terrible all out in the open. Again, there was a long stretch in this country where it started to be not so good to be a terrible person out in the open. And that didn't mean that terrible people no longer existed. Like I said, I've been called the N-word on the street and I've been followed by the police. And so I know that there's still plenty of terrible people out there in the world, regardless of whether or not they're in your face or not. But what happened in the Capitol this week, those people were in your face. They, and just like Pete said, they came from all over the country to express a certain amount of power that they thought or believe, not only that they have, but that is rightfully theirs and rightfully theirs to express over other people. And there are conversations that need to be had about that, but there's also action that needs to be done around this stuff, right? There's a certain amount of justice that needs to be served and a certain amount of example that needs to be set around how these situations are going to be managed and dealt with in the aftermath. Right. Because in managing these things in the aftermath, that's how you set things up for how people think about whether or not they should be wanting to do this stuff in the first place moving forward. Sorry, I've been talking a long time here, but my mom 
grew up in the 50s and 60s in she was born in North Carolina. She grew up in Maryland. She had to drink from colored water fountains. And I'm half Native American from my mom's side. The tribe that we're from helped expel the Klan in North Carolina. And so... Shout out your mom's people. Shout out to my mom's people. So yeah, we have a history. I have a history of understanding that there are a bunch of people out there who are not going to like people like me and people who think like all of us on this podcast simply because of the way we look or the ideas that we hold that want to bring everyone together or be seen from a perspective of, yeah, we actually all are pretty much equal, right? And it doesn't matter what you look like or anything else. We should all be carrying the same amount of rights and privileges and our ideas should be respected as long as they're not trying to take away those same rights and privileges from other people. Right. And, and, and so you told me I can go in any different direction. And I think I tried to dot a bunch of different ones, right. Which is sort of what I do on this podcast, I guess, talk for a long time, but it's an important conversation. I guess I was just struck this week by how easy it was for something like this to happen. And then for how easy it was then as well for those who should be looking in the mirror about the roles that they played in helping to sort of foster the type of environment that allows people to believe that this is what they should be doing for them to sort of skate on their responsibility in that. And that was a part that bothered me most is sort of the gaslighting that exists on that side. So the gaslighting is something that you made a point about how there needs to be like consequences and there needs to be justice, right? Like there can't just be, there's a a Martin Luther King quote that I cannot, I'm not going to butcher without having it pulled in front of me. But the idea of the presence of peace with the absence of justice is not, it's not a tenable solution. There has to be, it just can't be like, oh, don't storm the Capitol again, right? It has to be, how do we get to this point and how do we address that? There has to be justice and and a way to put that under control. Um, The gaslighting and the disinformation, that's the direction I want to go. We're all media people, right? And we all have influence over how people think in the Lakers sphere at the very least. And in following a lot of the right-wing extremism, both online, but even more so like Fox News, how many people over the age of 50 in this country sit at home and that's they are engulfed in that. Fox, Fox is on the TV the entire day. If they get in their car, they're listening to Rush Limbaugh or, or Glenn Beck or any of these radio personalities where their entire worldview we don't have a consensual reality now where that person has an agreed upon set of facts that that we have right and in their worldview what they did on wednesday was righteous right they believe that an election was stolen because they've been pumped full of disinformation and I, I, I'm curious your thoughts, Mike, as somebody who's been in the media and who, ha, who has training in journalism, like, you know, Northwestern and you, you are you come from like the heart, the, the, the lifeblood, right, of, of journalism. Uh, and how do we how do we address elements of this to make sure that, that we can beat this back? 
Oh man. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a painful reality and, and something that I struggle with daily uh, in. And so you're right. I did go to, to journalism school and the biggest emphasis over the four years that I was there was the ethical part of it and the identifying facts. And if you, if we turned in a paper there or did a report that had one factual error in it, it was, it was an F like they called it the Medell F there. And so that it really ran into your head that you have to vet and find out the proper sourcing for things and know that the information that you're getting is coming from a good place. And so it's been a real struggle for me to see the way that the quote media, which is again, it's incredibly difficult to summarize an entire industry uh, in a word like that for its own right, but has been, uh, you know, put into a certain context by um, through politics. Uh, and the reason is to manipulate votes, essentially, right? That is the it goes back to kind of the Karl Marx quote, um, religion is the opiate of the masses, but that can be extended to anything else uh, for those trying to stay in power, or trying to elicit power. And what part of my struggle has been, you know, I work for the Lakers, I worked for ESPN, for a while for Disney. Um, I, you know, I work for Spectrum and I've, I've always tried to be very careful to separate my own views uh, from a professional sphere such as this. And we're in a little bit of a unique space here, Pete and Darius, and that this is your podcast, but it's something that like we all represent those uh, for whom we work. And what Darius said a couple moments ago about how that, like part of that has essentially been ignored. Uh, and all of a sudden you've got people proudly carrying swastikas uh and in in the capital and proudly uh, you know representing the don't tread on me and, and that kind of thing and then meanwhile those of us that are really trying to be careful about what we say especially in the sports context and 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 i and for by, by the way for a long time i think that's been the right way to do it now i'm like i'm i'm biting my tongue you know and and i'm i feel like i'm super well informed uh, about what's actually going on and so it's it's a it's a real difficult dance and that's aside from all of the the racial issues that Darius spoke to that to me are just human decency and human rights things that like i i i didn't have to be taught that people were equal based on their skin color i mean i that like that that i don't know that that to me seems like something that should be um inherent and obvious but yeah, it's a it's a struggle, and I I think there are, there are more good than bad out there, and but that information system for which a lot of this is coming through um, is a massive massive problem uh, and needs to be continued to be addressed. Yeah, that's that's something that no matter our our impulses are to follow people who tell us what we want to hear, and that can even happen. Like, look, if you're listening to to this podcast or any of the three of us, and we comprise the totality of your opinions on that you hear on the Lakers, you're doing it wrong. Listen to other people too, right? Like, it, it, I I do my very best, and you guys do as well, to provide good faith analysis and good faith perspective on the Lakers, but we're all prone to biases. We're all prone to confirmation bias, which is the idea of that thing that I predicted. It's true. Right. And that I'm, everybody wants to be right. And everybody wants to put themselves in a space where they, people tell them what they want to hear. And that, that whole, what you said, Mike, about the the standards in journalism school where they're like if you have one factual error it's an f that doesn't exist in the real world and if on one end that pressure is being put on people in in who are arguing in good faith and 
the people who are operating in bad faith have no restrictions whatsoever. They're going to win every single time because it's it, it's a cynical like it, it, grab for people's attention and, and and grab for people's hearts and minds. Can I just say though that the journalism that Mike is talking about that he came up in that still exists. It's out there plenty, right? What I will say is though is that in in this country, I know it for sure. I can't speak to other countries because I'm not as well traveled as I would like to be. Uh, but there has been a massive shift away from the idea of news to that of opinion, right? And so it used to be that, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. Mike mentioned he worked for ESPN for a while. I know he did radio. I used to remember that Sports Center was like the biggest show that you could possibly have at ESPN. Mm -hmm. It was like, I tuned in to watch Stuart Scott. I tuned in to watch Dan mm -hmm. and Keith Olbermann because I wanted the news. That was the news of sports, right? It was the scores. It was the highlights. It was what happened. And there was no tweaking that. I would bet now, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would bet that if SportsCenter is not the biggest show anymore, it would probably be something like First Take, right? Where First Take is, opinion a, is a blend of, the, like, they're giving you a version of the news. This is what happened, right? So here's the thing. This is the thing that happened. We're going to talk about that, the what happened part, for maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute. And the rest of our seven, eight, nine minute segment is going to be us talking about how we feel or what we think about that thing. And Mike, you mentioned, or Pete, it may have been been you like Fox News, or you could even go to MSNBC, or you can go to CNN, whatever your news outlet is, there is less news and more people talking about what they think about this other thing. And the thing that someone thinks about something is also important. It's important, don't get me wrong, but that is not news. That is what someone thinks. And now if you get more and more people influenced by what other people think versus forming their own sort of critical opinions and doing their own critical thinking around the news, that's when you start to get into dicey territory. So the, the, there's there's one to me huge difference and sort of key difference. Some of these stations now are are not even attempting to be news stations, but are masquerading as news stations uh, and and essentially are there mm -hmm. for a mix of profit, um, which is how you know Fox News was essentially created. There's a there's an excellent Showtime show on this with um uh, about sort of the making of it and I'll. I'll, I'll set that aside for now, but, and then those stations that are, are trying to lead with the information first, and you can make that corollary to this podcast where like, or like when I was doing radio there, there's this, there's this, um, this want to, okay, lead with your best stuff first and try to hook people, but you can still choose to do that based on actual information, or you can choose to do it based on what's going to get the most people to stay listening. And that's that's, again, a difference, whether it's sports or real life. It's just that there aren't the same consequences in sports. If we come on with some stupid take and, and just whatever, throw out the take that's going to get the most people to argue. And then they're going to listen. And you and I go back and forth in each other. And we are. But if but it's in sports, it's nobody. It's not really harming anybody's lives. It might make some people upset. 
But when you do that with news, and again, I think most stations do not do this. When you do that with actual information, there are real consequences of which we just saw in the Capitol. And that to me is the major difference is that you, it's all great to have opinions uh, if it's in a right context, but you can't have opinions about facts um, that especially that play out in people's lives. And that's what we've seen increase. That's what's different from when we grew up and there were only a couple of TV stations uh, and they all had to follow at least somewhat of a similar course. And that's the the challenging environment that we're going to be moving into moving forward. But, you know, look, as we just saw there, the side of, well, here, I'll, I'll just, I'll stop it there. Uh, I'll stop it there and go back to you. Yeah. The, the thing I would just tack, tack onto that before I kick it to Pete is that as the idea of, of making money off of the news like that's where we are now that's what i was going to say yeah and um it's an important distinction right like there should be a point in the time where there should be a time in the day where everyone can tune into the tv and actually get the news right and that shouldn't be required to like make the tv company any freaking money right like it just shouldn't. You should be there not for keeping people to watch, right? Because this is important information that everyone should have. But that's no longer the case. It hasn't been the case for a while. There and is the PBS, idea- there is NPR, right, for a yeah. public radio. But but you're right. But that's the, what percentage of people get their information from there. Um, you know, not a ton. Well, yeah, and it's because of look, man. Like we live in the algorithm world now. We see that through our social media feeds, but that that algorithm applies not just to the internet, it applies to like what people are putting on TV and why and and who gets to host a show and what guests get booked and how hot was that segment? All right, okay, well, we'll bring that person back next week for another hot segment, right? And, and this is how things go. And, and and so Pete, I see you nodding your head. I'm 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 sure you've got more to add here, but it's just like it's this is all the stuff that sort of makes me like, oh man, like it's it's so uphill, man. And and what you asked, you started your talk with Mike about like, hey, what can we do to beat this back? And in some ways it seems pretty daunting. I don't know. I see it it comes back to information. I think we're close to the the core driver of this in that information is one of our most precious resources because it's the agreed upon facts by which we share reality. And again, we look at what happened on Wednesday and we go, that's terrible and this can never happen again. But the people who did that and the people who support them online saw that as righteous and saw that as the beginning of something, right? And saw that, and it's because we share different informational worlds. And so long as information is unregulated, on the other end of things, too much regulation, right? Like who decides what the truth is? That's a whole nother conversation. There are people, many people who in that algorithm world, Darius, decide we are going to spread misinformation. We're going to spread disinformation because it is profitable to us, because it gains Twitter followers, it gets money, it, it gets, there's all sorts of motivations to do it. And there's nothing that's dissuading people from doing it. So until there is some degree of dissuasion 
to put out deliberately false information for the sake of clicks and all of all of that, then this is going to keep going. So that the ways to do that is a much longer pod, and I'm not the person to to do that. But until we start protecting information and we start preserving the integrity of of truth, and at least not everybody's going to see an event through the same eyes, but until we start having good faith efforts to put that out there, things aren't going to change. So that's the place that I, I really think that we need to focus on in terms of if we want to change things, it's the propaganda and it's making sure that that propaganda doesn't get uh, spread, you know, with, without any resistance. So um, we're going to wrap it up there. This is uh, going to be a continuing conversation for sure. Uh, Lakers play the Chicago Bulls on Friday night. And we will be back for an episode on Monday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Yeah. Bryant. 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment 
and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.